We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. You think football is still fun? Uh, yes. Sir. Yes, no. No? Sir, sir uh, it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is it? No, not by No, it's not fun anymore. Not even a little bit. Just look at that. He hit the fall. That gets a free stay. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah. I'm having a blast. Thanks. Good. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. This episode is also brought to you by our Big Screen Sports Patreon group, who voted on this movie, and that makes it a Patrons Movie of the Month episode, which means this episode is sponsored by Classic Stadium Fire Laser Cut Stadium Models, the must-have piece of sports memorabilia for your office, your man cave, your she-shed, Really, whatever room of your house, it's, it's going to fit everywhere. Uh, classic Stadium Fire creator Andy Losick recreates sports venues from Little League to the Big Leagues as 3D laser-cut engraved models hand-assembled from finished maple. I have in my office, like five feet from me right now, a model of original of Rosenblatt Stadium. It's hanging in my office. It looks great. Uh, Rosenblatt, the original in Omaha, was just the coolest. It's, it's really cool that now that it's gone, I've got this awesome stadium model in my office to remember it by. Really special time in my life visiting there. Uh, Andy got it over to me. Looks great. Highly recommend Classic Stadium Fire to literally anyone who wants a cool piece of sports memorabilia for their office man cave again whatever even if your favorite ballpark or arena isn't listed among the 50 plus models already available andy's going to work closely with you to recreate a -a one-of-a-kind custom order in a range of different sizes it's the perfect mother's day or father's day gift we got both of those coming up if you've got a stadium that's near and dear to your folks's heart holler at classic stadium fire andy's art is in the home of big league legends and former college national champions find classic stadium fire on etsy.com and use promo code BIGSCREEN to save 10% off today. Again, that link is going to be in the show notes. Promo code BIGSCREEN to save 10% off at Classic Stadium Fire. Speaking of our Patreon group, shout out to new patron Sam Smith. Not going to dox the guy, but he hails from Roanoke, Virginia, just one of the best places on earth. Sam is also a producer patron, a big chill level sponsor of this show. Shout out to him and the rest of our producers. That's Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D, Ryan Yeager, Mike Dries, James Kolewski, Chris Mikoski, Andrew Teagle, John Craig, and of course, Classic Stadium Fire, our sponsor to all our patrons' movie episodes. Big thanks to them, our new patron Sam Smith, and everyone else 
else who supports this show. If you head over to patreon.com slash big screen sports, you can get a say in what the show covers. Like today being a patrons movie episode, you can help nominate and vote on at least one movie a month. In April, it's actually going to be two. The patrons have picked two movies. Uh, You'll know if you're in the Patreon, you'll know what those movies are, the schedule, the guest. As soon as I know, you'll know. Uh, Patrons get scheduling updates along with other perks like ad-free episodes. You get early drops, stickers, and you just get to support the show. Keep it rolling. It's always appreciated. The patrons, like I said, selected this movie. Today's episode, Blades of Glory. We're diving back into the Will Ferrell sports movie comedy. Uh, We've done a couple. We've done Talladega Nights. We've done Semi-Pro. For Semi-Pro, had on my buddy Rob Fox, bringing back my old buddy. Rob Fox, he's the co-host of Softcore History. We're going to get into that a little bit. A little bit of uh, two dads talking some World War II at the beginning of this episode, and then we, we dive into Blades of Glory. Let's get into it. All right, returning to big screen sports, one of the original guests, I think guest two or guest three of this show, he's been back a few times since, my good buddy, Rob Fox. Rob, how you doing tonight? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to have you back. It's been it's been quite some time. I know. I, it was, uh, I, I was living in my apartment still uh, when the last time I was on, so I was like, I had to be, it was like two years before the pandemic that I was on that thing, maybe a year before the pandemic. I think it was probably a year. I think we did uh, did semi pro, and obviously you and I go go way back to the old uh, old Grand X days. But Rob, tell the folks what are you doing right now? Tell me about Softcore History. Yeah, uh, co-hosting Softcore History with two other uh, Grand X alums, uh, Jake Goldman and Dan Register. We put out an episode every Monday. It's basically if you know this, if you know the podcast Hardcore History, then you understand that it's a play on that. Hardcore History is, of course, a very uh, fun. It's not like overly serious because Dan Carlin has fun with it, but it's I, I would call it quite academic and rigorous, rigorously researched. We are the opposite of that. We uh, just uh, pick historical topics and have fun with it. And, you know, like you I, I'll either try we I, I, we either try to do something that's just like outright insane. Uh, Register likes to do a lot of like crazy serial killers in the past and stuff like that. I'll tend to go more on um, like more ridiculous topics like uh, how they uh, dealt with pregnancy throughout like the ancient like ancient period like Samaria to, to Rome stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so give we, the folks an example with like your your most recent episode on the uh, the Japanese soldiers who went to the jungle and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we did an episode this week. Uh, it was mine and it was about. Uh, the Romery Island massacre. And essentially it was like 1945. The war was pretty much over. Uh, And so the British attacked this island in what's now Myanmar, uh, then Burma, then called Burma. Um, And, you know, they just attacked the island. They were liberating it. Um, And uh, the Japanese, not ones to surrender, not really big on that at the time. Uh, They were beaten in the battle pretty handily and they retreated into this like swamp area. and, they, you know, they're going to hold out and do their thing. Obviously, there's like, uh, you know, stories of like Japanese dudes they find on islands like in the 70s that are like, the war's still going on, right? Like, I'll never surrender. Uh, so it was like almost like a, that type of situation. They're like, we're going to go in this nightmare swamp. You know, it's, it's, it's a swamp in Southeast Asia. Like, it's gross. It's just like, you don't want to hang out there. And uh, so they went into that and they're going to hold out there. The British didn't follow them in. They just surrounded the swamp because they knew what was in the swamp. It was full of saltwater crocodiles and saltwater crocodiles are the largest reptile on earth. I mean, like they're di- they're dinosaurs, like they're 20 feet long. Um, they can get up to like 2,200 pounds or something like that. So anyway, a uh, thousand Japanese soldiers went in, uh, 20 came out 
quite a bit of them were eaten by the crocodiles. The British said that they would be like uh, sitting there at night because crocodiles hunt at night, like watching the swamps, even Japanese soldiers would come out uh, to attack or something. And there would just be like, they would, and there's no light in the swamp. Like the uh, Japanese aren't going to make fires or anything to, uh, to, because they don't want to let the British know where they are. So they would just be like screams, like, a, <laughs> and then like a random pop of a rifle and then silence. And that would just happen like over and over again, sporadically throughout the night. And they'd hear like crunching and blah, blah, you know, like rolling in the water. And yeah, it's, so it, it's kind of like the Japanese uh, USS Indianapolis, like the American ship <laughs> that was sunk and, and they're in like shark infested waters. It's like that version. But I said on the show, I was like, I think I'd take the sharks. I, the sharks sound better. But, I think but. I would take the sharks too. Um, a lot of the guys in the on the Indianapolis like started hallucinating after a bit too. So at least like you're kind of taken out of reality. I mean, we're we're about to be like two dads just going deep on World War II. Oh yeah. Um, so everyone go check out softcore history for the for the the deep cut of that. But I think. I think like a, a dad's getting into World War II thing is like wondering like I wonder which theater I'd have fared you know fared better in and obviously like neither I'm soft as puppy shit I would I would have been awful in World War II. But, I, my uh, answer yeah. is also neither, but I guess. <laughs> but the obvious answer is Europe. It's not it's even Europe. close. It's your the only thing against Europe is I don't do well in the cold. That's why you and I both live in Texas. I'm not a big cold guy. Yeah. Um, Battle of the Bulge seemed like it'd be very bad for me personally. But everything else about the Pacific Theater, including uh, 20 foot long alligators, just yeah. And again, yeah. I, I just want to reiterate, like not not going like, oh, I'd be a hero. No, I would be. I would have been horrible. I would have been right. I, I don't think I would have made it through basic. Yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't have been good for me either way. But I, I mean, like, if if I had to pick one place, I guess it's probably. I mean, you know what? My my grandfather actually fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He's a much cooler guy than I am. So maybe I could do better in a European winter than a than a uh, um, Pacific. <laughs> constant <laughs> summer but yeah man it's a freaking nightmare either way tough tough stuff well the link to software history will be in the show notes and let's talk about something something that you and i both had to endure in, in a way not yeah. quite like the battle of the bulge but let's talk about blades of glory the 2007 ice skating comedy in 2002 two rival olympic ice skaters were stripped of their gold medals and permanently banned from men's single competition Presently, however, they found a loophole that will allow them to qualify as a pairs team. It starred Will Ferrell, John Heater, Amy Poehler, and Will Arnett, directed by Josh Gordon and Will Speck. And, and Rob, this is something that we talked about a little bit before we started the episode when we were kind of setting this up. And we obviously covered Semi-Pro, which is a movie that I think you and I like a lot, makes us laugh a lot. Why, and especially considering the Ferrell run, like this is this is peak will at the, at this point, like these, these, this 10 year set of like 2000 to 2010 peak feral. Why does this one fall short? Uh, well, for one thing, it, like it, it's PG 13. And I think you either need will Ferrell to be, I guess. So elf was PG, not G. I thought it was G uh, when we were talking about this beforehand, but it, as far as inside the movie goes, will Ferrell was G. Right, like the, there are other elements of it made it PG, but not Will Ferrell. Yeah. So you either you need Will Ferrell to be at the extremes. Like he either needs to be like over the top, like sugar sweet goofy, or just a fucking hard R psycho. Yeah. And it doesn't work any other way. Now I guess in Anchorman, he was a little, um, like he it wasn't like Step Brothers or uh, or even. Um, 
uh, uh, semi-pro where he's like, suck my cock, I'll murder your family. But like, it was still, it was still sharp and mean, I guess you could say almost. And this one, it's just, uh, what's that quote? Well, it's from the Bible, but it's also from um, uh, gangs in New York. Like you're neither hot nor you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. So I spit you out. Like this is lukewarm Will Ferrell. Yeah, that's that's kind of how this movie is. Like you can see the potential. The idea itself is good. There's some some good things going on, or at least some good things that you tried. I was kind of thinking about it. Like you know how in a golf round, like I I'm not a very good golfer. You know how, but like you you play a couple good holes. Like hey, I hit a good shot. Hey, I hit a good shot. You know, hey, I'm trying something. I'm trying something. And I think like Will Ferrell's run started being like you know okay, I've I've made the transition from SNL to movies. Okay, I'm having success. Okay, I'm trying something a little wild. Okay, now I'm like a NASCAR driver. And then it's like, I'm going to try to hook something around this tree and skip it over water and get on the green. And I think <laughs> this is the thing that it kind of like, kind of fell into the water. I think it was also relying on a heat wave from, you've got John, John Heater coming off Napoleon Dynamite. He's really popular still at that point. But as I think we've seen now with retrospect, that was more of a shooting star. That wasn't. Uh, that's a, that wasn't a guy who was going to endure. That and I might think even that's be. where a lot of these other movies succeeded in having. You know, he was. He's been paired up in a lot of these movies with. You know, people who've had twenty year runs of their own. Yeah, uh, Heater man, I got a lot of stuff to say about John Heater after yeah. rewatching this movie. Yeah. Um, I want to. I want to go into what I what I told you we were going to do. We're going to play a little game okay. with the, the Rotten Tomatoes score of this movie, and we're going to talk about other feral movies. And I, I'm going to give you a feral movie, okay. and you guess, is it higher or lower on Rotten Tomatoes? Which, uh, of course, Rotten Tomatoes, not the... Uh, not Now, are we doing critic score or audience score? Critic or, score. Okay. Critic score. Okay. Uh, giving ease one for Elf. Is Elf higher or lower in Rotten Tomatoes than Blades of Glory? Oh, I got to think it's higher. It's higher. Tire Elf has 85%. So I'll give you that baseline. I'm, you know, I'm actually a little surprised by that given, I guess it was kind of popular when it, or it was popular when it came out. Yeah. I, feel like I, I think it, I think it was. It, it, it even, and, even still it reached like cult status. It didn't take long to reach cult status, but I feel like it was still even underappreciated in theaters as compared to when it hit cable and people yeah, just it like is, bananas for it. It is the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes feral live action vehicle. The Lego movie got a 96%. But that's that's the the highest one he's in. A movie you and I both like a lot more than this, Semi Pro. Uh, I bet that's lower. Much lower, twenty two percent. Yeah, that one. Just I don't know what I don't know why people didn't like that movie. I think they were, you know, a lot of comedy is like surprise is it like, and it's just you cannot you can't be overexposed. And I no. feel like by at that point you had seen, and that was wasn't semi-pro near the end of it of the run it, it was so semi-pro was 2008 it's a year after this and so there's and i think coming off this too there's a little bit of feral fatigue because mm -hmm. he's had something out every single year and it's been and remember with with what it was like back then these were these were coming out in july like these were the big comedy releases of the year yeah yeah so i think people I, I were think that hurt that i think people yeah they i think people have seen enough <laughs> At the time, yeah. Step Brothers, higher or lower than Blades of Glory? I gotta think that's higher, right? That is lower. Wow. Step Brothers is lower. Step Brothers is sitting at fifty-five percent. What came out first? 
or Blades of Glory came out before Step Brothers, right? Blades of Glory is 07, so it came out, yes, it came out before the, before Step Brothers, a year before Step Brothers. He does Step Brothers and Semi-Pro. They came out come out the same year. Oh, wow. I see, you, you know what this might be is uh, it's like the reverse of, you know how sometimes the, like there's like rumors like people get an Oscar because they should have gotten an Oscar for like a movie two years ago, but they didn't. Like Russell Crowe getting Best yeah. Actor for Gladiator of all the Russell Crowe films. I know. And it was because he should have gotten it for Inside Man, I think, the cigarette movie. Oh, uh, The Insider. The well, Insider, the yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, I think this is like the reverse of that. Like, people were, are rating, their, like, uh, Step Brothers and Semi Pro are getting the ratings that Blades of Glory should have got because people are just like, God damn it, I can't <laughs> take any more of this. Anchorman. Higher, right? Please. Lower. What? Old school. Higher? Lower. So this is, is this like his second or third highest live action? This is his 11th highest live action. And a couple of them are not like, let's see, I'm trying to think. There are really no others that'll, like, kicking and screaming. Okay. Lower. Uh, I would hope so. That I would hope yeah. that's lower. So Blades of Glory is sitting at 70%. So Anchorman and Old School sitting at 66%. So in Rotten Tomatoes score, it's Trump by Dick, which I have never heard of. Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams. Oh, that's a great movie. But he I've never he, he's not a lead, he's a supporting actor in that, right? So like he's not it's not even like old school where he's like part of a small ensemble. Like he is he plays a uh, Woodward or Bernstein, I can't remember. Oh, but okay. He's Okay. Yeah. Oh, so is that is that a movie about Nixon and Watergate? Yeah. Oh, love that. Okay. Oh, you right should you own. should watch it like tomorrow. It's okay. fucking great. Deal. Deal. Okay. So like Talladega Nights is better rated. And then some of his like more serious stuff, Everything Must Go, Stranger Than Fiction, Anchorman 2, which I don't think was appreciated enough at the time. I think Anchorman 2 is fucking incredible. The other uh, guy's uh, it is, movie. Anchorman 2 is, uh, I had like, it. P- speaking of feral fatigue, if there was no feral fatigue or they had just... I don't even they don't think they need, they need to make like not make it a sequel or something like that. But the satire in that is so sharp. It's almost like it's incredible. It's so good. I mean, it's a perfect encapsulation of just the current media environment. And that was like 2013, 14. I remember it was a Grand X when it came out. The the car chase scene in that the uh, is like is is one of the smartest scenes in, in film history. It's yes. incredible. Oh, my God. That is the most. The, the nugget of perfect satire inside of that kind of grab bag of a movie is just, and really just, they should, if they had just like cut everything else out and not done like the fan service with the fight, not that the fight didn't, the, another news fight the, the didn't fight have great did moments. Give us the fight did give us the ghost of Stonewall Jackson. <laughs> oh my God, release your soul to me. That c- kills me every time. <laughs> but uh, man, the, the just, just the cable news stuff is like, some of the sharpest satire made this century, I would say. It's stunning. It's Anchorman 2 is something that needs to be discussed in this podcast. Um, yeah. Hall of Fame All-Star starter or bench warmer sports movie, this one. This is a bench warmer. I think this is uh and maybe we maybe this isn't maybe this is more appropriate for some other part of the podcast, but like I just, you know, I'm not an entertainment insider or anything by any means, but I have worked on a couple scripts before. And this reeked of too many cooks. 
You know what I mean? Yes. Just yes. reeked of studio interference, producers having their say on the jokes. Uh, and then, and then what makes it even, this it can be an asset or it can be a liability. And I think it, the, there was, it, this movie was so like schizophrenic. There's so many voices like in, in the ears that like the fact that almost all the actors in it, um, or at least Farrell and Will Arnett and Amy Poehler are all like massive improvisers. Um, that probably didn't help either when they were trying to put an edit together and they were trying to pick good takes and stuff like that. But this really just reeked of way too many studio notes. We got to make a ton of money on this. Like this is Will Farrell at his hottest. This is a cash cow and we're going to make this palatable. Hence the PG-13 rating, by the way instead of that's that's where they're really trying with this is like that's where the i think the financial angle and it also it seems like that rating Farrell can kind of work off that a little bit but i i left this film feeling like polar and arnett and even like romany malco were very like pulled back like very restrained like they weren't cooking as much as you you might think Mm -hmm. and then where it really struggles and like Getting into the IMDb trivia, originally the role of Chaz Michael Michaels and and Jimmy were going to be played by Ben Stiller and Will Ferrell. So that's two of our our bigger comedy stars of all time, guys. I know Stiller isn't everyone's taste, but I think like I think he could do this. Like we, he's coming off White Goodman. I think he I think he'd be able to figure this out, and I think that's probably a little more palatable for everybody. And I think there's just a little more success there. The the heater thing in retrospect really holds it back. Um, nothing against the guy as a person, but he, I mean, they caught lightning in a bottle with Napoleon dynamite. And I really don't think there was staying power beyond that. No, he, this, I, he's in other movies that I really maybe like Pat seen in passing or like seen parts of, but this is one of his few other films aside from Napoleon dynamite, which is brilliant. And in which he is brilliant. Yeah, oh, um, like a, that's an all-time performance. Yeah, for sure. But he's just not a good actor, and or at the very least, the most charitable way to say it is, he is in no way correct for this role. Like he is yeah. the best way, the most charitable way to put it is, he was wildly miscast, and they were like, "It's Napoleon Dynamite and Will Ferrell, money." It's, yeah, it's he's wooden. I mean, he is. He doesn't know what to do. I don't know how much the directors tried or could help him, but like it's, it's jarringly bad to the point. There's so much weight on his shoulders to be funny in this. And it's just, it's not there to be funny, to be funny with Jenna Fisher, to be able to play off Will Ferrell. Playing off Will Ferrell is not fucking easy. Like he's, he might be really funny, but you have to be like, think of the people that Will Ferrell's had success with in that regard. Like think of the people like, obviously like John C. Riley, the whole, the whole news crew from Anchorman, like Steve Carell, David Koechner, Paul Rudd, some of the funniest people on the planet. Like you have to be top tier to go up with, to go up with Will Ferrell, or you have to be like James Caan and be so fucking serious and elf that like it plays off of it perfectly. Yeah, no, and, and that's got to be really intimidating for sure. And or and at the very least, like the thing with that too, though, is like if you can't hang in that way, then don't try to. If you're not a power hitter, don't swing for the fences, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're you if like you don't you don't need if you're playing on a team with Vlad Guerrero Jr. But you're a contact hitter, then just play to your strength. You don't need to hit forty home runs because he does. 
And I don't know if maybe Heater thought he needed to do something like that, but regardless of whether he thought that or not, just even the small stuff is just mm-hmm. like bad. Like it's yeah. badly acted. Yeah, it feels like Farrell's on an island and like into the the trivia too, the writers claim that 88% of Will Farrell's dialogue is improvised or changed in some way to suit his persona. And it's like that in a lot of Will Ferrell comedies, but the improv he's doing and who he's riffing with again is Paul Rudd and John C. Riley and people who can give it back and flow with that. Right. And it's, it, it does feel like he's on an Island and in some ways, like almost kind of in a different movie at, at some points, but like there, you know, there is some, like they put in the work. They both learned how to ice skate for this movie. They trained extensively with Michelle Kwan's coach, Sarah Kawahara. So, yeah. You know, they put it like they at least like did that. Like it wasn't so obviously CGI to sides apart <laughs> that are like supposed to be right, you know, over the top. But it's so, um, yeah, it, it, it could have been better. That speaking of Michelle Kwan, this is a great example of a time when Heater clearly wasn't improvising or didn't need to improvise because he was just there to, um, I guess, move Will Ferrell's jokes along. Uh, the scene where Ferrell's talking about all the ice skaters he banged. Michelle Kwan and Oksana Bayul and stuff like that. And even in that scene, he's like, oh my gosh, you had that, you hooked up with Michelle Kwan? Like, it's just, I wouldn't be, I, I would be like, again, if it was like on the exec board set for TFM, I would be like, oh my God. Like, I don't, I don't know what I would do. Like, I was watching that and I'm like, dude, like, like, I don't know what was going on with John Hader in this movie, but it was bad. Yeah, it it just there's there's no chemistry there. It's it's a bummer. And speaking of chemistry, this last IMDb trivia fact, although it is only referred to subtly throughout the film, and I completely missed this, the filmmakers intended for the characters of Coach and Jesse, who is Craig T. Nelson and Romany Malco, to be understood as romantic as well as professional partners. Some indications of that included the stained glass window in the kitchen showing the coach and Jesse together, surrounded by hearts, which I missed, and the triangle shaped rainbow ornament visible on their shelf during one scene. I that flew completely over my head. I didn't get that vibe. <laughs> maybe there was, yeah, probably not. And I don't know. Maybe uh, uh, they. I mean, it's two thousand seven, so like Obama was still against gay marriage when yeah. the movie was being filmed. Uh, so <laughs> maybe that just hit the cutting room floor uh, for marketing's sake. Like, I mean, that was the mainstream position, or at least like the moderate position. Like, if the like him and Hillary Clinton. So the, I'm saying the moderate ish or Obama was even to the, like, not super to the left, but point being, to be an electable Democrat on a national stage, you had to be like, nah, I'm not for gay marriage. That's a little that's a little too far for my taste <laughs> when this movie was coming out. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if that uh, hit the cutting room floor, much like uh, the gay stuff in Harry Potter for China. <laughs> Just <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing in this movie is it's probably way different if it comes out now because yeah. the, the running kind of, like, the discomfort and the the somewhat homophobic style, you know, scenes in this one and like, oh, I'm touching a man. I'm uncomfortable with the man and stuff like that. I think if the movie's a little freer with that, it can get into stuff that's just a little funnier now. Yeah. So I, I think it would actually, you know, 15 years would actually do this one some good. It would. Oh, and also, yeah, that I forgot about that. Like, what? Your figure skaters. That is a sport dominated by gay men. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy was kind of based off Johnny Weir and like Johnny Weir's 
yeah, fam- famously, famously very gay, John right. Weir. Yeah, so I don't, man, that was the other thing too, where it's like, I think even watching that in college when I was watching it, I was just like, just be gay. Like, just, what, what are we, like, what is going on? Like, so it is funny to have one of them be like this womanizing, outrageous, like this person would never actually be a figure skater, right? Like I get, I, 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 I can get down with like Will Ferrell being that way just for the sake of like mm-hmm. odd coupling it. But even the odd coupling only goes so far because like, so Jimmy's uh, like kind of uh, fat, like, like a little bit feminine, certainly like it and like very innocent. I guess he's not gay, but he's also like not experienced with women. So he's just like a eunuch or something. Like it's re it's a really bizarre setup for the Jimmy character. So maybe Hater only, Maybe Hater had not couldn't do anything with that role because it's really weird. But like, it yeah, is. It, it's a, it puts him in a really weird corner because you're kind of it, when you first see him, you kind of assume he's gay, and they do all these things that make him seem you know he's very effeminate and stuff like that. But it, then it's like, oh no, he's into he's into Jenna Fisher. It actually like again, if you have 15 years on this movie, if you like if you do this now, it's actually kind of funny to think about Womanizer Farrell trying to teach you know Hater to like like data dude like how yes. you know how to, to pursue a, someone like a that's a very gay guy yeah yeah that would be very funny that would be way fucking funnier than like oh my god yeah it, it it's hurt by a lot of things and again that really goes back to and i don't think like you said yeah it'd be better now because marketability wise it, that wouldn't hurt it now mm-hmm. the way a gay main character would have hurt it then because you know will ferrell's audience and will ferrell is the main star of this Will Ferrell's audience is a bunch of like frat bros like me and like high school kids who play sports and stuff like that. High school boys who play sports and stuff like that. So they don't want to go see Will Ferrell and a gay guy hang out in 2007. Really? Mm -hmm. Even though Mm -hmm. it's us, like I don't, I didn't care then. I don't care now, obviously, but like there's still that fear then that is probably would be still be there to an extent now because studios are typically pretty cowardly. Um, But uh yeah, it would be better now for sure. And yeah. that's just another aspect of this movie that was hurt by the fact that it was a bit of a cynical cash grab. And I don't know if that happened in the editing bay uh, or in the cat. I mean, it probably happened at every step of it, but it certainly mm. happened in the edit and the marketing. No, oh, because it's got the base of a good idea. Like, that's funny. Hey, like, hey, Will Ferrell and someone, you know, like Will Ferrell, Ben Stiller paired up, having to, having to pair up as a men's ice skating team. You can do a lot with that. Just like, throw Will Ferrell in the ABA or throw Will Ferrell in NASCAR. Like there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. that you can do with that. It just kind of wasn't fleshed out. The, getting into the most authentic and least authentic aspects of this movie. Is there something that, that jumps out as most authentic for you? Uh, well, I did. I do think the, they did a good job making it look like the Olympics on the mm-hmm. ice rinks and stuff like that. Like it was not like poorly set dressed by any means. Um, I so too. Like, like the, yeah. whatever it was called, like the winter, whatever, like the fake winter games or whatever, like yeah. that. Like they did, they did do a good job staging it. Yeah, that didn't take me out of it. That didn't like make me sus- stop me from suspending disbelief. Um, and uh, God, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, like just all, just everything involving the Olympic stuff and um, or like the general setting. And then um, I guess they did. Uh, they did some of the other uh, background, like the uh, like um, the the announcers and stuff were good. That didn't take me out of it. The 
like that uh, was interesting how many professional skaters they brought in yeah they did like, yeah they, they really like scott hamilton was very very famous for you know when we were growing up like as a skater like it was very interesting that they got all that participation like they got nancy kerrigan in this i know yeah they got everyone i mean this was you know this was skating's big moment right this was their big movie unfortunately for them i hope they make another one um but yeah, I mean, that, that was all pretty good. And I will say, well, I'll save this answer for later because it's actually part of another question that you have. But there was yeah, another the, piece of authenticity involving an actor. Is it the uh, the overbearing sports parent trope? Fickner is the, <laughs> the bad sports dad? Because they, they nailed that one. I mean, they there's, did. Oh my God. And, and especially in like Olympic sports too. Like you see that, you see the domineering dad in the suit or the full track suit on the Dude. sidelines of the Olympics. I mean, that's a tale as old as time. There may be no one who has it worse than um, gymnasts and uh, uh, ice skaters and maybe like one or two other things with overbearing Olympic parents, sports parents, because those are not, it's like a combination of sport parent and pageant parent. Like mm-hmm. they're both at the same time. So you can't just be like, like at least like an overbearing, like Andrea Agassi's dad, I guess was a dick, but like, he's just a sports dick, right? He's like, keep, keep competing, run, like whatever. But this one's like, keep competing, get stronger. And also be beautiful. Like it's <laughs> like, like you're not pretty enough. It's all, it's like both of those at the same time. It's- and also in these sports, like ice skating and gymnastics and stuff, like the competitions like you can compete in stuff that actually matters on a grand scale very very young so these parents are like we've got to get in these huge events when you're like 12 or 13 years old so you can see where like an ice skater like jimmy would be very stunted very odd by you know and controlled by this domineering adoptive sports father where the worst like you know they're terrible baseball parents like i'm coaching little league right now i'm seeing some seeing some horrible things at eight years old but nothing really matters until you get to like you 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 can't get drafted until you're 18 so all these parents can chill versus like this shit can matter very very early and it's it's interesting that they loop in the the domineering sports dad trope but then also let it go completely after the first scene yeah it really it doesn't stick around and it's it's that would have been another thing that would have been good to to keep that would have been more interesting i don't know than a lot of other stuff they ended up doing i guess uh and it's william finchner like god that guy has one scene in so many movies but he's uh the consummate that guy yeah yeah i would have loved to have him more for sure um but yeah you're right that was an extremely authentic part yeah the least authentic part for me is just it, it would not have taken three years to find that loophole there's just no way like jimmy acknowledges it you know oh i had all these lawyers like someone's finding that loophole immediately absolutely although the first I, thing that comes to mind i guess you could say at least like maybe they looked at that loophole but we're like obviously jimmy's not gonna skate with another guy so why would we even mention it yeah like that, that's a good point that makes enough sense to me um i think though he could have skated with a girl because he, he goes to like the the thing that the place that will ferrell was working to find a figure skating partner to find a woman so i think it's just oh. like he could have skated in partners that that's why i'm saying like they would have found this. Oh, then yeah, they would have found that immediately. Like yeah. within two seconds. You need it for the plot, but like, yeah. you see, I, I had forgotten that that was like, that was the big loophole. I had thought it was the, you can skate with a man. I thought that was the loophole, but I don't think that was the actual loophole. I think it was just, you have to skate in a different division. You have to skate in partners. Oh, okay. Okay. 
that makes more sense. Yeah. That is also the type of thing too, where I get kind of like annoyed when I watch movies like this, where it's like, uh, I actually have a, a book on my shelf over here somewhere called save the cat. And it's essentially like, uh, uh, how to screenwrite like beat by beat kind of, it's like the classic, uh, beats of a screenplay. And it's very, uh, screenwriting one-on-one and I'll watch movies like this one and I'll be like, boom. Yep. There's that. And then, Oh, there's that. It's like, you know, there, Oh, there's the all is lost moment right on time. Uh, and like all this stuff. And it's, it's like, you definitely don't want to veer too far off of like a general, uh, type of uh beat by beat situation but also there's sometimes there's movies like this where it's just like so predictably like down to the page that it tells you to do it on where you're just like yeah okay yep there's that and it's almost and it's like oh there's a special move that they're gonna figure out where they like it that is just like yeah 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 that's i think that like that just kind of unlocked it for me is there's nothing there's very little in this movie that surprised me at all. And mm-hmm. I think that's the hallmark of these feral comedies is those moments that like, you just cannot believe that's what like the one thing, like if we get into, you know, what worked is for me and like, it, it's what worked. It's my favorite scene. It's everything. I'm giving away the whole, the whole plot of everything I wrote down for this. But when he is, when he's like the wizard and he's throwing oh, yeah. the wizard hat, like that's classic Pharaoh. Like that gets me. It's one of the few things where it it's like, okay, me. we're getting a little outside of the box. It's very funny. Yeah. 100%. And again, you can tell that there was probably a really, really funny screenplay here or a really, and if that, and also then, uh, what could have been made into after they had shot it all, what could have been edited into a really, really funny movie, Mm -hmm. like a really probably are, but really funny movie. Even if you kept the beats and the main plot points and stuff like that, and it just got neutered and half like, you know, half in half out type of situation. Uh, And yeah, because you do, you have stuff like that and, and everything Nick Swartzen does, uh, So if that's what made it on screen with Nick Swartzen, I can only imagine that character should have probably had like twice the screen time. Um, Yeah, there's, there's a lot. The B-roll of this one is probably really funny. Did you, was there anything glaring for like the least authentic part of this movie for you? Because authenticity can come through in a way of like, even in a spoof, if there's something that just doesn't hit at all, like it can be funny. Like in, you know, and a lot of the things with semi-pro of like what Jackie Moon does, like not very authentic wouldn't happen, but it can also, it, it can also really, even, even in a spoof really harm the movie. So it could go one of two ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, I guess it doesn't matter, but like all the skaters were so old. <laughs> <laughs> like it, and it's one thing if it's Will Ferrell, who's at least supposed, and they did make uh, Jimmy, they did make John Hader look like super young still. So yeah. he was slightly believable um, because jo- Johnny Ware is um, he doesn't look like a 12 year old or anything like that. And the guys usually are a little older because um, they got to build up the strength a little more, but like uh, <laughs> I guess in particular, Amy Poehler, just yeah. like, it's just like, and she's hilarious and it doesn't really matter, but it's like, it's just not going to be a 40 year old woman on the ice. And that was like a little to the point where I was like, ah, so I got, I got, I like have to, consciously suspend my disbelief at that point and then um again just like the plot uh like just all the like things like oh there's a special move and there's a uh 
as and more specifically like the rule loophole and stuff like that i guess the special moves not totally unbelievable because like you had what tanya harding pulling off a, tr- a trick for the first time as a as a female skater because she was like way stronger than you know the like tiny little one dancers mm-hmm. uh, ice dancers you see that and that happens in like i guess skateboarding and snowboarding all the time like the first you know whatever yeah like you can see where the device would come in and like they need they need some advantage to them both being men yeah 100 percent. so but it's mostly just like obviously the age of the skaters aside from uh uh, john Hader, is deeply inauthentic yeah well we we've ragged on it a lot but what what do you worked in this one what is what is stuff that you could take home is like yeah this this helped this movie uh, I mean, there's a million funny moments, to be honest. Yeah. It's just so scattered and and uh, and the rest of it doesn't work well enough that it doesn't it just doesn't save it. But like everything Nick Swartzen does is hilarious. Will Ferrell does have a lot of moments. Ferrell yeah. does what he can. Like he's he still has, you know, has yeah. his moments. I will say uh, any a trope that always gets me is harming a mascot. So in this one, we have a mascot catching on fire and a mask snowflake being shot with an arrow. Yeah. Like that, that always gets me. I'm always for mascot harm. That's all wonderful. Like that's all great. Um, and again, yeah. Farrell's like, the, like an all-star on a, on a nine seed NBA team dropping 40. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. he's the only guy there and he's just putting in all the points. Uh, that was kind of how Will Ferrell was. Although honestly, like Amy Poehler and, and Will Arnett were both, really funny too when they got the chance to be there was one line that killed me from will arnett where he's just like sell yourself uh <laughs> and that that them them making out at the end is funny because they have the like the tension all movie and then just making out when they're being arrested is like that's a very good payoff uh yes that is wonderful i i didn't um i, I feel like i was 50 50 on um the routines that uh uh Will Arnett and Amy Poehler did like the JFK Marilyn Monroe thing, or was it Joe DiMaggio? It was, it was JFK and Marilyn Monroe. And I will say that was my, of the, the comedic stuff from them. That was the funniest thing for me. Them doing the J the happy birthday, Mr. President mm-hmm. that, that, that got me. That killed me. And I guess it was the type of thing where it's like, okay, we're not in a world where people are just kind of doing like normal routines. It's a little more themed and that's fine. And they did it early, which is good because that established it early that the routines were more like ridiculous and stuff like that than they would be on um, like in actual figure skating. So that was fine. Uh, And that was funny. Like it really is just like a lot of moments. You know what it's kind of like? It's like I could look up family guy clips on YouTube all day and they would make me laugh individually. Those 30 second clips. But if I watch a Family Guy episode, I'm like, this, this kind of sucks. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, I don't really like this. But, like, the, they just have so many moments independently that are, like, hysterical from every on every level. And they're like, but a, a, a thousand clever moments don't make a movie. Don't make a story. A bunch of stuff in this movie would be good on TikTok. Great on TikTok, like- great on YouTube, yeah. And I mean, let's talk about the most, I guess the most enduring part of this movie is that is Jay-Z and Kanye using it. Yeah. Uh, yeah provocative gets the people going. I mean, that's still, you know, that was, that was huge. I mean, people heard that line a million times, even if they didn't know what it was One from. Song only. Lady Hump by the Black Eyed Peas. 
What you gonna do with all that junk? All that junk inside my trunk? I'm gonna get you, get you drunk. Get you drunk off my lady hump. My hump. My hump. My lovely lady hump. I'm not skating to anything with references to lady humps? I don't even know what that means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. No, it's not. It's it gets gross. the people going. It's it's disgusting. Disgusting. That's enough! Yeah, it's crazy to me that of all the movies Will Ferrell's ever done, that one made its way onto a Kanye and, Will and Jay-Z album. That's unbelievable. Bonkers. Something that has it has nothing to do with the movie, but it worked for me. And this is this will be my oldest daddest moment of the of the episode. More than World War II talk at the start. Craig T. Nelson's cabin. That is one of those things that you look out on Zillow and you're like, man, I could see myself out there. Oh, 100 like, percent You got the big wood bed frames, you're out in the wilderness. Like that that's it's like Zillow Bation material, right? Yeah, now. that is Zillow porn and one hundred percent. Yeah. Which is was... the only porn I care about at this point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing like firing up Zillow and and being like, let's let's look out in the wilderness in Colorado. Like let's see what yeah. people are working with. Let's see what we can do here, dude. It's yeah. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, that cabin was dope for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the one we talked about, kind of like again the very two thousand seven ness of it when it comes to the the homophobia and a man skating with a man. But the the one line of the the guy holding the Bible, there's nothing in here about two men skating, was a very good joke. Yeah, <laughs> that was really funny. And honestly, like man, it would have just been so much funnier if instead of obviously being like i'm touching a man if you know jimmy was gay and will ferrell is just like he's not homophobic he just think thinks everyone wants to fuck him and he's just like don't don't fall in love with me or so you know what i mean like that one is not because he is a man but just because like you can't you i'm sorry like you can't have me um like that that would have been funnier than like ew oh guy. Yeah, even 10 years would have done this one so much good. It would have gotten rid of a lot of the stuff that didn't work and and be, been able to it, just evolve a little bit and and turn into a lot of funny funnier tropes. Yeah, 100%. And you know, like there's there's certain things from 2007 that a lot of people like I guess would say don't age well, but it'll still make me laugh like every time they use a gay slur in super bad, I'm you know what? It's terrible, but I'm going to laugh at that. That's just, it's a funny movie to me. But it, but the, but like it, the, you can tell here that homophobia like deeply limits the movie mm-hmm. in in way both the, in telling even like a semi authentic story like certainly you're not going to tell an authentic story about figure skating with Will Ferrell as a figure skater ob- yeah. obviously but you know uh, I, I it's not like uh, uh, Knights was hyper accurate but you felt like the spirit of it was there like you felt. Uh, there's an old saying, maybe I said this during our semi-pro episode, but so uh, a Saturday Night Live writer told Will Ferrell this about his impressions. Uh, it's like, you don't, there's two types of impressionists. There's like a, more like the Dana Carvey, Daryl Hammond type who like nail it, nailed, or uh, Fra- what's the other one, Frank Caliendo? They nail the voice, they nail mm-hmm. everything. Um, and, and they're just like perfect impressionists. And then the other one, the other type is the Will Ferrell type where, uh, you sound like they look <laughs> and that's the basically then that specifically with george w bush is like the perfect yeah. example of that but he did the same thing with nascar right like he it's not like a hyper accurate nascar movie but he, he the essence of i feel like nascar kind of flowed through that movie and you don't it doesn't you don't get that organic quality 
out of Blades of Glory that you do out of uh, Twelve Mega Knights. Yeah. So like in getting into kind of what didn't work, and we we've already harped on it a lot, and there's you know about some of the stuff but i think i wrote down like more skating scenes question mark but i think what you described there actually that that kind of that kind of better described what i needed is to build up the world of authentic ice skating a little more and then you drop will ferrell in as this oddity mm-hmm. and like let him play off that but there wasn't we really only saw polar and arnett who are both like their own kind of separate freak show and then Farrell and Heater, and there wasn't the layer of, like, there wasn't the great NASCAR shots going along. Or there wasn't, like, in Semi-Pro, where Will Farrell's the zany owner, but, like, Woody Harrelson and Andre 3000, like, they can ball, and there's, like, there's good action going around like that. So it's not like I didn't need to see Michelle Kwan skate for two hours or something like that, but needed to build up the world around them a little bit so they stood out a little more instead of, like, having to view Will Ferrell as ice skating. Like this is, this is what things are supposed to be. Cause even in Talladega nights, he's a little off the wall. He's a caricature. Yeah. Like, I think that would have helped it a little bit. If there was something akin to the races going on in Talladega nights or the, you know, some legitimately good basketball action, like, like is going on in semi-pro or some stuff you can believe in. This goes full caricature with everything going on in the sport. Yeah. Yeah, you really don't get a reference point like you do in those other movies, right? So you don't, you can barely even tell it's a caricature. So it loses a lot of its comedy because, like you said, yeah, there's no reference point where Farrell's weird. It's just yeah. the only skaters you see are weird. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's I think if they if they had like what what is it in a like a in a science experiment the um, man th- this is this is why like I a bomb place- the science like section. a placebo placebo like yeah or like a, a constant or something a con- oh like a control a control control factor. yeah they yeah, didn't yeah. have a control group yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why i bombed the the science factor on my act but yeah i think control group would have would have helped this movie a lot yes we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so best scene in this one. Um, I I'm gonna go chronologically. If I miss any of your favorites, you know, by all means, stop me. Um, I already kind of I kind of showed my cards with with what. But um, 
I will say the the Chaz Michael Michaels background, one of the first things we get in the movie, to me, it kind of reminded me of something that could have been a really long SNL sketch. Yeah. And I think it would have been really, really effective. Like the lot of little quips in there, the Chicago sewer skating scene, the four national championships and an adult video award. Yeah. I thought I thought that was very funny. And I bet there was a ton of B-roll or a ton of other stuff. Like, I bet they, like, I could just see a writer's room sitting around coming up with jokes for that opening. Chaz Michael Michaels, an ice-devouring sex tornado, spawned in the hellfires of Motown. Troubled childhood? If you call being a nine-year-old kid with a 35-year-old girlfriend troubled. At age 12, Chaz escaped the life of running cigarettes and illegal fireworks by becoming a star in Detroit's underground sewer skating scene. The only skater to win four national championships and an adult film award. Which is not to say this rough-hewn heartthrob doesn't have a softer side. He recently published a book of poetry. Let me put my poems Oh, in. for sure. And so, interesting thing that you mentioned, SNL and SNL sketches about this. I don't know how familiar you are. I'm not familiar, but I don't know how much you remember the SNL days of Will Ferrell. But he's pretty much playing Neil Diamond. Do you remember his Neil Diamond sketches? Yes. He's I, I like, never put that I never put that together. Yeah, he looks like Neil Diamond <laughs> from his Neil Diamond sketches. A lot of his background is like the same vein of stuff that Neil Diamond would be like, I wrote this song. I think there was one like, I wrote this song after I killed a drifter to get an erection. <laughs> and then he just goes in like crackling rose. Like it's it's literally the same thing and it's the same hair same everything uh so i think it's it's um vh1 storytellers neil diamond the snl sketch and he, he did like more than one in the same way that um god you'd have to go back and do like a really really deep dive on it but there are a couple jokes that get reused in anchorman from his days on snl and i don't know if it's just an accident because you got to write so much for snl and adam mckay and will mm-hmm. ferrell were, were on it together um, but stuff like that happens. And um, dude, there's even a, an example of like when Adam McKay was the head writer on it with Will Ferrell. And then like when Will Ferrell hosted one time, so there was this, uh, there is this uh, sketch on SNL hilarious uh, about um, a website name for uh, like a insurance company or something like that. And the website, it, it's like 97 or 98, but it's like the website is, it's for like a mutual fund or insurance or something like that. And the website is clownpenis.fart <laughs> because it was the only website name left. Cause that was at the time when every, all the website names were getting like taken. The .com bubble. Yep. 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 So that was the whole joke. And it's like for, it's like for financial stability, come to clownpenis.fart. And it's like a really classy, like TV commercial. It's a commercial parody. And then when Will Ferrell hosted like two years ago, there's this fighter pilot sketch he did where his call sign is clown penis. <laughs> and I was like, they have to know, right? Is this like an inside joke? Am I the God, only it, person? Like it who has no- to be the callback. Yeah, like, am I the only person who notices this? I like even read, and I never do this, but I read the the uh, recap of SNL on The Ringer, and I read it on AV Club, like being like, I can't be the only one. Like, if I notice it, these nerds have to notice it. Like these people who like fine tooth comb SNL, and no one, no one talked about it. So I feel like a crazy person. But a lot of his SNL stuff bleeds back into his later work. And that's what the I think the best parts of this movie, it's kind of like you said earlier, just like clips. Like you could turn, you know, you could watch like YouTube clips of this and it'd be funny. Like 
a lot of this, like the the next scene, and I kind of showed my you know showed my cards, and this this being my favorite, when Chaz just just blows up and grumbles on ice, yeah, like that could that could be an SNL sketch of like a washed up you know former Olympian figure skater who's working. Yeah, he just uh, I just threw up in here, people like that. Farrell does a guy at rock bottom as oh. as good as anybody. Like oh, you, it yeah. harkens back to Ron Burgundy drinking the milk, but just Farrell at rock bottom is is priceless. Oh, it's Farrell. Yeah, Farrell. He does like three things really well, and it's rock bottom, uh, pure arrogance, and uh, the sort of sweet the elf sweetness. Like those are the yes. three things that he just knocks out of the park. Those because the- it's really like Chaz Michael Michaels at Grublets on Ice. Uh, Buddy the Elf and Ashley Schaefer. Yep. Yeah. And you know, like, yeah, yeah. And like the there's there is like the Ashley Schaefer, Ron Burgundy column, right? And then and really uh half Ricky Bobby as well. Yes. And then there's the sort of uh Chasma. I mean, yeah, that's how it goes with him. But that was hilarious. And honestly, by the way, the grublets on ice or whatever it was, I saw that in particular and talking about how this screenplay probably got stripped apart and rewritten and then the edits were a nightmare with studio notes and stuff like that i saw the grublets on ice stuff and i was like i think that stayed i think that was from i think that has been in the drafts from almost the get-go like that feels like it came from the writers Uh, hey hey you little forest creatures none of you sons of bitches try to be heroes you hear me What are you doing? Hey, everyone, this is Gary the Squirrel. Now listen up, Gary's been a longtime friend. We've been skating for two and a half years. I remember when we were hanging out in the bus stop at Tucson, and Gary said, hey, I've got a third ball. I just threw up in here, people. That's the reality. Another layer into the yeah, It was really good. It was it was a great concept. It was funny. You got Rob Corduroy as the the grubless guy as like the straight man yeah. in that scene. Like it was really well executed. Like it for me, it was easily the funniest part of the movie. Oh yeah. That just it's so good. That part well, yeah, that was so funny. Yeah. Um the the next one I've got is the their first ice routine. Don't want to miss a thing. Still, really slaps. Like that is a great ice skating song, and like the skating was actually really good. And Chaz throwing Jimmy into the wall is really good slapstick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. It is just funny to have two men ice skating to "Don't Miss a Thing," whether or not one should or should actually be a gay character or something like that. <laughs> just having two dudes, regardless of who they are, uh, ice skate to "Don't Want to Miss a Thing" is fun. Honestly, even having a man and a woman ice skate to "Don't Want to Miss a Thing" is has its own fun ridiculous factor to it but that's just that is a funny song to use for a for an ice skating routine yeah it's back-to-back episodes of the show that that song is referenced because it last last week we did con air and we kind of talked about like is the movie song kind of dying because con air you know obviously has how do i live yeah uh this one brings back don't want to miss a thing from our <laughs> which is good stuff um so the the next scene I've got, I, I like I'll clarify, it's not one of my best scenes, but it's kind of like this should have worked better is the sex addicts meeting mm-hmm. because you get the Luke Wilson care. As soon as I saw it, I was like, I forgot, like there's Luke Wilson, like this is going to be funny. I feel like there was a version of that that went a lot better, that was a lot funnier, that like 
I, I don't know that one to me it's like it was like sand slipping through your fingers like when it was over because you get you get Luke Wilson and then at the end you get him honking at everyone like to stop them from mingling yeah yeah but in the the middle it just it didn't have didn't have what I thought I wanted to bring it up as like this was a great trope and it just kind of didn't come off perfectly I think part of that is uh PG it got PG-13 right how do you PG-13 a sex addict meme that's a good point because like you do you could pull off kind of the 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 40-year-old version thing where they go to what is it like the pregnancy center or whatever yeah um where he takes her he takes her to like there like a planned parenthood or something like that like it you kind of riff on that in a way because the group setting with strangers is a it's a trope i always like cuz you you've got the Luke Wilson cameo you could have popped in a couple other people here like it's it's not out of the question for free. like Imagine John C. Riley sitting at that thing yeah. and just just riffing. He'd be like, "John, we we need you for forty five minutes, dude." And there was even moments in there that killed me, like uh, when he like when Jenna Fisher sits down and Will Ferrell whispers to like the really plain like like Iowa librarian like lady, like I know her. You know what I mean? Like there's just moments in that where they, <laughs> they like get me. But yeah, I mean it just it's not there. It's not doesn't work for a PG thirteen movie. Also, there is one thing in there that I kind of think. Uh, so you, you mentioned um, Luke Wilson honking at them, being like, "Come on, people, break it up." I actually kind of think that that joke sucks because Luke Wilson ruins it. It's funnier to just have them do that scene, and then you notice in the background that everyone is like hooking up. You don't, <laughs> but like they have to put like a hat on a hat. They have to like make sure you see the joke. And have, That's a fair point. And have Luke Wilson be like, hey, look at that. It's kind of like, there's a good, really good uh, film reviewer who I like, uh, Vince Mancini on Film Drunk. He talks about this sometimes where it's like, movies have this terrible habit of the joke being like, uh, repeating something that someone else already did that was funny. I think the specific example he gave was in The Hangover 3, like Alan had a giraffe in his car and it got decapitated on an overpass or whatever. And then, like, the next scene, Ed Helms is like, Alan killed a giraffe. And it's like, yeah, we fucked, we know, we just saw it. <laughs> and so, like, the audience, and I feel like comedy really works really well, uh, or people like it a lot when they get to figure it out for themselves. I think one of the reasons Arrested Development was so beloved was because it's almost like a hilarious puzzle that people got to solve. You know what I mean? Like, they got to, like, put the little Rubik's Cube together. And be like, oh, 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 like they get to like point on these things, but and so like, but they didn't have anyone pointing at it for them. They didn't have like, and I think like that, it was a great joke. And I actually remember thinking, watching that, like, oh, that's really funny. Everyone's hooking up in the background. Like I started laughing, and then Luke Wilson came in, and I was like, mm, yep, yep, yep. Well, and what's kind of the hallmark of these the great run of feral movies is like. Every time, every time you watch Anchorman, like something that you forgot, like something subtle, it's the the subtleties of those movies, and that's what this one is missing a lot of. Is there is some stuff like Will Ferrell throwing up in a in a wizard's costume is like outwardly funny, like they knew what they were gonna get out of that, but it's missing like the subtleties of the quick asides and stuff in the background, and that stuff really filled up the best of those Ferrell movies. One hundred percent, yeah. So. Again, yeah, like that scene just got so neutered in so many ways. Yeah, but it still made me laugh. I don't. It, 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 yeah, I don't like. I had the JFK and Marilyn Monroe routine. I thought that was really funny. We kind of talked about that earlier. Um, 
you know, there's the chase scene right before the end, mm-hmm. like the funniest part of which is the the kid yelling stranger danger at, at John Heater running out of the bathroom, yeah. like just that frustration moment. But the the climax of the movie doesn't really do a ton for like that's the thing, you know the the Iron Lotus is coming, like it's been set up, you're not you're not really like invested, like you know it's gonna it, everything's gonna go off. Well, this movie doesn't give you any hint that things are gonna get zany in any way towards the end either like there's not even a risk of them not pulling this off right i mean i guess they flip it on its head where like yeah peter has to throw feral right Mm -hmm. um but yeah and it's look the stakes don't have to be high but at the same time it's like i don't know man you you, like you they have it's like they felt obligated to spend like 10 minutes without comedy just to resolve the story and so it's just like 10 wasted minutes of the film where you've had no stakes. You don't need to have stakes, but then like, don't try to make it feel like there were supposed to be stakes just to have a climax because your little beat by beat situation tells you, you need like a climax, you know, like mm-hmm. what the hell, what's the climax of, of Anchorman? Like it's barely even there. He just like faces bears and then the, the dog saves him. Like that's like, <laughs> Yeah, like put it, you know, and you also don't need to be meta and be like, look at me, I'm doing the opposite. But it's just like, again, like there's not a right way to do it, but there are wrong ways to do it. Like there's not a singular right way to do it. You don't need to be meta. You don't need to like, you don't need to like flip things around, but you also like, it just felt awkward. It felt like it was there to be there. It felt like it was there because it had to be there. And, you know, they put, it felt like they put some very humorless, like script doctor on it you know what i mean who's like well page 92 by page 92 you need to be start resolving things so let's you know get into that and that's kind of that's kind of how that whole climax went to me yeah yeah it you're not very invested and it kind of falls flat so is is there any scene in this movie that can compete with with will ferrell just blowing it over at grublets on ice oh everything nick swartzen does (laughs) <laughs> everything Nick i mean that's if, if we want to just jump into the lenny harris pinchitter award for best supporting character like swartzen as the stalker is like incredible yeah he needed needed way more swartzen uh he he was probably way too raunchy to make it in, into a pg-13 any more than that and i will say even though the pg-13 rating helped ruin the movie they did still get in a lot of really good jokes for a pg-13 movie because I'm not, I don't think, I think a PG-13 movie or a G-rated movie can be absolutely kill you hysterical, uh, you know, and constraints sometimes help with comedy and help with writing and stuff like that. I mean, Anchorman is PG-13. That's wild. I actually didn't really, I guess they yeah. always say fuck once. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's the only, the only time. <laughs> I guess that must be why. Yeah. I guess I, but like. Man, all right. Anchor, so, Anchorman has no nudity. A lot of the jokes are language-wise clean. Like you, you talk about Sex Panther. That's something that's not like ridiculously right. vulgar. And like one of the funniest lines in that movie is, "This is worse than the time the raccoon got the copy." Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, I guess I just assumed like, I mean, he does have a full erection, but I mean, I guess a a thirteen-year-old boy has dealt with a an erection <laughs> listen listen i went to see that movie in eighth grade like i probably had like seven boners in that movie yeah exactly like, yeah <laughs> just it's par for the course at that age yeah 
Uh, man, that's wild. I forgot about that. Is Talladega Nights is R though, right? I think so. It might. That might be PG thirteen too. I feel like they curse way more. They all that. see. They all had unrated versions. True, but well, regard regardless, this one. So maybe it wasn't the rating. It was just more for marketability. Because I will say, Anchorman and Talladega Nights were allowed to lean into themselves. Like they were allowed mm-hmm. to lean into their weirdness. And this one couldn't decide what it was. If Swartzen and Heater, I don't know if it's Hater or Heater. I've been yeah, but, if they yeah. switch roles, I th- do. You, I think we get better results. I think because I think Swartzen can can get zany. He can get weird. I think I think that's actually really really fun. And I think Heater in a supporting role, if he just plays like a weird, awkward, dead-eyed stalker, yeah. I think that is also kind of funny and effect. It's it's different vibe than Swartzen, but I think that could also be effective. Oh, a hundred percent. The only problem is you can't trust Nick Swartzen to get him to shape for a movie. <laughs> oh, oh no! I mean that. Well, that would be the thing. You'd have to like he wouldn't be like slim. Right. He wouldn't be Johnny Weir. Right. But you would have him and Will Ferrell playing off each other, which is two more comparable talents. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. But like, yeah, him screaming, "I sent you my blood. Did you get a cup of my blood?" Like that. On our own to do a little flourish off the triple dead here. Look, I know I had it. I just felt like it needed a little feeling. We're feeling now. What are you teaching this boy? Jimmy, I sent you a cup of my blood. Did you get my blood? And like, okay, bye, Jimmy. I'm gonna kill you. Uh, or whatever he said, like that. <laughs> I'm still gonna kill yeah, I'm you. I'm still gonna kill you. And then the post credit scene with the dolls. Uh, God, I, yeah, it's all. Ev- every scene he's in is fantastic. Again, like I, we all both already mentioned, I love the um, Marilyn Monroe routine. Um, I think there were parts of the phone call scene that I liked a lot when they were both coaching. Uh, Jenna Fisher and and John Heater on, on what to say on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, that got me a couple of times. That oh, that scene might be the best encapsulation of the movie, where it's like, man, someone just said something goddamn hilarious, and then two <laughs> seconds later, someone just said the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> just like a bad game of tennis. Like you're going back and forth, like, oh, that was good. Oh, that was horrible. Yep. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Like you're just like, dude, I just smoked that last backhand. Why did I just like ding this into the net off my handle somehow? Like, what the, like, yeah, it's, that's a great way to put it. Or a game of golf, like you said earlier. It's like great shot, yeah. terrible shot. Yeah. With the, the pinch hitter, I, Swartzen's kind of the easy pick. Seeing, I had forgotten that Romney Malco was in this one. Yeah. And it's three years after an, all-time performance in four-year-old virgin he is throwing 100 miles an hour in four-year-old virgin and his character in this one is extremely subdued and you think if you're just like hey man be the guy from the 40-year-old virgin but now you're a skating you're an ice skating coach Mm -hmm. that's that's awesome because the the energy he has in that movie is is i mean like like I mean, he he flew into the sun like that was that was peak performance, and then it hasn't gotten close to then since. And I think he had, I think Romney Malco had some religious convictions or something that was like, I'm not doing roles like the 40 year old virgin again. Okay. But that was like that was a ultra talented guy and incredible performance, and it's almost like disappointing to see him in this movie. It's like it's like when he it's like when Grady Sizemore just lost it all the injuries and in like his last few years he just he just didn't have it yeah it's kind of like watching that it's very disappointing and he was great in weeds too totally different role than 40 year old version but he was really good 
uh, really under, he's a great actor. Like you, for, and you tell that from both 40 year old virgin and weeds. Cause it's there too. Like, it's like the opposite of John Hader, right? Where it's like, I think John Hader might only be able to do one thing, which is fine. It's a good thing if he's doing the Napoleon Dynamite thing, but he, he, you can't ask him to do other stuff. Romani Malco uh, is like genuinely has range because mm-hmm. weeds and 40 year old virgin are not even close to the same characters. And in both of them, I loved those characters. Um, so, yeah, he was great in it. He was a good, and you know, Craig T. Nelson's always, always solid. Just, yeah, uh, he's he, man quality. Like it's good to see him in here. It's good to see old Craig T. Yeah, if if anything, I wish there could have been more between um, Chaz and Craig, right? Whatever Craig T. Nelson, I don't even remember. But the co- he's the coach because coach. he was used to that would have been a great dynamic too. Because he was used to like obedient Jimmy who never questions anything. And now he's got to deal with this piece of shit. Who's like, oh, it looks like he's almost the same age as Craig T. Self-taught skater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like that is a funny dynamic that doesn't really get explored a ton. It really just kind of gets like, it, I'll say this. It doesn't get yes handed because it, it, what essentially happens is it's like, Will Ferrell does something crazy. And then Craig T. Nelson is just like, shut up. And then Will Ferrell shuts up. Yeah. Could have, yeah. Should have been, should have been more play on that. Yeah. I think kind of a missed opportunity. Is there for best quote, is there any quote in this movie that just like, besides nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative. It gets the people going even for like, it didn't mean as much in this movie, but after you know, yeah, when Jay-Z and Kanye take it, like that's the pinnacle quote of this one, man. So there's, I don't have, there's no like quote quotes for me. Like that escalated quickly. Like that's those don't necessarily stand out to me, but like, the stuff that makes me laugh a ton, like, and there's, there's lines that you can tell people want to be quoted. Like, uh, and I swear for a week, my penis or my piece smelled like marshmallows, uh, <laughs> like that, like, you know, that's the type of thing. Like people think like people might quote to their friends, but for yeah. me, my, th- the only other one I wrote down was I was on Quaaludes in Boston. I don't even remember Boston. That's, a, yeah, that's <laughs> like funny. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the funniest quotes or the funniest like lines to me are a, it's not even a line, but Will Ferrell's first laugh as the wizard <laughs> like that killed me. And then obviously the two Dick Swartz quotes, I just said, I sent you a cup of my blood. Did you get it? And, um, <laughs> five still going to kill you. Um, those two. And then the other one I mentioned earlier, Will Ferrell being like, I know her, but like, it was just like in the moment that was so funny of just like what <laughs> that woman doesn't even seem alive and you're just like confiding it i don't i don't know like th- that's the stuff that usually like gets me um but i guess if i had to pick one of you i'm still gonna kill you in terms of- have we has there been a swartzen vehicle like what is not a good one what's what's the movie swartzen like grandma's boy he's prominent in yes but he's always like a side he was the, I, yeah, I really don't think there's been anything that's like, this is Swartzen's movie, or at least like he is the number two. There's been one in which he's the number one. I would say he was the number two in Grandma's Boy, actually. Yeah. Um, which, but he, there was one that he was number one in, and it was that, uh, it's it, it, not really Swartzen's fault, cause, but like him and Adam Sandler, he's in Adam Sandler's crew. Like he's in the Happy Madison crew. So he shows up in all the Happy Madison movies. And they made a Happy Madison vehicle just for him. And it wasn't good. The Bucky Larson movie. 
Oh, fuck. I forgot that was him. For some reason, I thought that was Spade, but that Spade was Dickie Roberts. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, Buck. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 Sandler. I don't want to say like tail end. I mean, he's still making movies and like, but the, you know, we, we talked about this on last week's episode too, is kind of like deeds was kind of the end of the happy Madison comedies or something that we can really look forward to. Yeah. I would say that's even generous, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, I would say that's the hard stop. Like the, no one, no one in their right mind can go beyond Mr. Deeds. Yeah. And then it's like cash all the checks and also do uncut gems, which is fucking incredible. Right? Yeah, it, he's the most frustrating. He's Grady Sizemore-esque, except he didn't injure himself. But like, th- there have not been a better two first films than than Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Um, no, and I mean just the the run the the Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, Wedding Singer. Like he wasn't missing. Like those are all still really good. I still like Deeds. Like Deeds has has its moments, yeah. has stuff we still quote. And then it's just like, I mean, cash those checks, man. Like Adam, yeah. Adam Sandler's great, 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 great grandkids are gonna yeah. walk through college. Oh yeah. So and uh, he now what he does is he just like all his movies are like set in Hawaii because he mm-hmm. just like once paid Hawaiian vacations. And I was actually just, yeah. I was just in. Brings, brings the whole squad too. He does. And so I was just in Hawaii for a wedding in February and they had to move the rehearsal dinner for that wedding because Sandler's shoot was going long at the, at the venue, at the, at the situ at the location. And they, so they had to move the rehearsal, or not the rehearsal dinner, the rehearsal. God, imagine your rehearsal gets bumped for a movie that's going to get like 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was an, it was a Netflix. It's one it's one of the ones in his Netflix deal. I don't know which one, but he was shooting it on Oahu, uh, right next to the Disney Resort that's on Oahu. And yeah, the rehearsal got so the, they obviously got to do the wedding there the next day still, but the rehearsal got bumped because they were shooting some scene there. So I'm gonna watch that movie just be like, oh yeah, there that, that's where the wedding was. There it is. There it is. I mean, the perk of that is that Sandler has all this money, so when an uncut gems comes around, he can take it. It's not like he's like, oh, I got to work. Right. Like he can, he's like, someone's writing that like, hey man, the Safties are going to write this movie for you. If you're interested, you can take it. You can, you can go do it and he can flex and it doesn't, it doesn't matter to him if it's going to be successful or whatnot. Like he can, he can take creative stuff. So it does give him the freedom. I just wish he did more of that. And like, I wish basically everything we got this year with like the crowning of Will Smith, you know, aside from whatever happened in the Oscars, but like that buildup of, you know, oh, Will Smith's finally going to get his Oscar and yeah. stuff like that. I wish we would have gotten that with Uncut Gems because of just how important Sandler was to us in, you know, in the late 90s. Oh, for sure. Although I think Will Smith's Oscar for King Richard was another like lifetime achievement award. He shouldn't have, he should have gotten it before. I don't necessarily yeah. think King Richard was the movie that he deserved his win for. Uh, yeah, good not great. Yeah, exactly. Like, but it's just a perfect storm. A- Amy Schumer had the perfect joke about that too, about the Williams sister, the only movie about the Williams sister being about their dad. That's so <laughs> goddamn funny. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, it would have been cool if Sailor got that for sure. Yeah, maybe Farrell will get right. it one day. Maybe Farrell will get a. He'll do something serious because he can act. He can. No, Farrell. I mean, in going all the way back to what we were talking about with his his movies on Rotten Tomatoes, like stranger than fiction and then everything must go actually like he he's got Farrell's got some chops and like it's interesting he's not 
it seems like so often he's playing an extreme character. Like he does Ron Burgundy in, in real life and like talk show appearances and stuff, but he can actually like, he can ground into reality very quickly. It's almost unsettling. Like when you, like if you hear him on a podcast, like he'll do, he he's done Simmons's show mm-hmm. every now and then. It's very interesting. Like he doesn't, he's not ridiculous when no. he does it. Like he's very, you know, and he, he talks about, Everything of this is performance, but it's all like calculated. He's not like being this zany off the wall guy. He always, I don't know if you heard the story of him when he talked about the funniest thing he wishes he would have done, but never like he was at an award show and Prince won an award and Prince wasn't there. And he thought to himself, he's like, I should get up and accept this as Prince. And he said, <laughs> he said he didn't do it. And it's like his biggest regret. Cause he was just like, he's just like sitting there looking around. They realize that Prince is not there. And I don't think they realized that Prince was not going to be there. And he's like, I should get up and accept this as Prince. And it would have been the funniest thing ever. And it's very funny. He has this analytical look at like, he's, he's calculating like, okay, would the, you know, would this be funny? And it's, it's, he's not just a zany character. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Damn it. That would have been great. That would have been one of the best award show moments of all time. But um, I think it's easy to say, just getting back on track. There's no real big chill in this one. Like the iron Lotus doesn't really, doesn't really do it for you. It's not set up for that. If, what what's like the quick is there a quick fix we go to how do you how to improve it is there is there is there like a couple switches that we could we could fill and then suddenly it's a, a decent amount but suddenly it's rewatchable yeah uh man it being uh uh stiller and feral would have helped a lot um mm-hmm. obviously that movie would have had to have been shot in like 2003 um yeah or before um but yeah, still, I mean, it, swapping out John Hader for anyone. Um, and then honestly, I would just say like, God, like, uh, you know, take, take out all the cooks. There's just clearly too many cooks. Like more, more, more Grublets vibe, less, yeah. more Grublets, less Iron Lotus. Yeah. And let, you've got all these of the the comedic stars that you have let them let them cook even more yeah like if you want you want let i mean give them an r rating and let arnett and polar get really weird because they they, yeah. they both can do that like arnett and polar are two of the funniest people on the planet oh 100 yeah completely and i would say again back to your point earlier that you said like how there was no um control group right for uh for that it would have been funny to me possibly if like there was a control group and then this new group of like ridiculous people came in and just started dominating the sport with their weird routines like whether it's Chaz or the siblings um or anything i know like jimmy's whole thing was he was supposed to be like technically perfect right it'd be fun to make it like a battle of um you know technically perfect versus outland like the technical crowd versus the outlandish crowd what there's a sport where that's kind of going on in right now i feel like but i can't remember what it is um but like that type of thing would be would be fun, would be great. But just in general, clearly there was uh, something there. By the way, you know who the third writer on this was? The story. You know who created the story for this? Is are you gonna the Busy Phillips? Yeah, yeah. How crazy Busy is that? Busy Phillips. That's the and only, then but then gets writing credit. Yeah, but then she had to sue or she had to basically cause a stir to get the writing credit because she came up with the idea, but I guess kind of got the boot or got it got swiped in some regard. Oh, that's I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There there was a little bit of she. So I, I had it in the IMDb, but I skipped over it. Busy Phillips states in her autobiography that this film was her idea and she was reluctantly given a credit as a writer due to the film's vulnerability of a lawsuit and the rules of the Writers Guild. 
So is she like friends with that? The- that's. I think there was here. Let's. Uh, it, it was. It was in more detail in the Wikipedia. I should have had it up. Let's. Let's go look now. Um, movie was based on Busy Phillips's idea, and she worked on the screenplay. However, an oral history about the movie for Nerdist. I can't believe this. This movie got an oral history. I have to check that out. Craig Cox fully attributed the idea of Blades of Glory to his brother Jeff Cox. The oral history has since been updated with information about Phillips's contributions. Phillips discusses the whole incident in her memoir, This Will Only Hurt a Little, stating that she should be credited as a co-writer in the credits, and she had registered the idea with the Writers Guild of America West at its inception, having come up with the concept, even suggesting Farrell's one of the two co-leads alongside Ben Stiller, while she and then-boyfriend Craig were watching television together when he visited her in Vancouver during production of White Chicks, a movie that is not funny. I added that last part. I oh, listen to this. hate that movie. White Chicks is, White Chicks is terrible. Uh, Seth Rogen has also said that he and his writing partner, Evan Goldberg, wrote a draft of the screenplay that included some of the biggest jokes featured in the finished movie, but they're ultimately fired and did not receive any credit. Wow. That explains a lot of this movie. Like, exactly like you said, a lot of cooks. Well, yeah. It's never, a man, it's crazy that they weren't even, I mean, there's always going to be dudes who don't show up, uh, well, people, not dudes, but people who don't show up um, on the writing credits who did on. Un- I mean, uncredited rewrites is a like mm-hmm. hyper common thing. Like essentially, I like, learned recently that J.J. Abrams was like a script doctor for hire in in the late nineties. He did oh, yeah. like he he did Con Air and he did Gone in sixty seconds. Oh yeah, I totally love that. I mean, un, I, there are un, that's a good way to make money for an, an out of work writer. Basically, is mm-hmm. doing a, a joke like it's the type of thing where it's like this needs jokes, this needs better structure. Like, how do we fix? act two or like just punch up jokes anywhere you can that type of thing whatever um so that doesn't surprise me and yeah i mean like so the fact so there's always a, a fair amount of cooks on a movie like this but the fact that you could tell that there was like even way more than that is just bananas to me yeah and just cooks from different factions too just jumping in and out yeah so final category before more store prequel sequel or remake Oh, um, I think we've kind of agreed on remake, but I'll give a different answer and, and say, um, man, I'll, I actually will say none of those things. And I'll say, give me just an in-universe film about Nick Swartzen. I'm, I'm in for that. My, what I wrote down was let it die. Let this one kind of, <laughs> let, let this one rest in peace. I mean, again, if anything, the, the remake would, you know, I, I think they could do a lot more yeah. with, um, with with this and like you know i don't think this one is ever going to be touched again yeah it'll be interesting so in in like let's say in like 10 15 years people will start bringing back up these these feral movies from this run someone at some point will say we should do something with anchorman or they're like Anchorman, the legend continues, or something right. like that. Or Son we of should Anchorman. do a tal- yeah, some sort of yeah, or some sort of Talladega Nights or something like that. At some point, someone is going to pick up one of these feral movies and have a a feralist version of it, and it's going to fall flat on its face. Mm-hmm. This one has the would have the best chance to not fall flat on its face, yeah. I would say, uh, because it's already kind of did. Like, I mean, all you, I mean, it can't it. It could get worse for sure because there were so many talented people in this that there were just laughs like by accident. It's like having a, you know, if you got like two or three good hitters in your lineup, like you're going to get, you're going to get some hits, but you're not going to win the game because the rest of your team sucks, but you know, still need some hits in there. Um, Yeah. 
I was. This is kind of like the Angels lineup where you've got Mike Trout, and then you've got Pujols. And while Pujols has all that money, yeah, like John Heater had all that, he's just he's not a he's not a good player anymore. Yep. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, actually, here's another idea for a movie for this. Um, you do you know the uh uh, play slash movie, uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes. Do that with Nick Swartzen. <laughs> so really just anything with Nick Swartzen. Yeah. So if, for those who don't know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. The, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are two characters in Hamlet. And they're kind of like comic relief in Hamlet. Um, but they're also just like they come in and out of Hamlet randomly. Right. So someone at some point was like, well, what are they doing? What are these idiots? Because they're really dumb. That's why they're the comic relief. Like, what are these idiots doing the rest of the time during Hamlet? So they wrote a whole play, and then I think it became a movie with Gary Oldman and um, uh, Roth. Um, they wrote a whole story about what they were doing the rest of the time, and it's just two idiots being idiots the entire time. So give me, and, and, but they do also have the scenes from Hamlet. Like they will show when they actually interact with Hamlet too. And so give me that. Give me like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead with Nick Swartz's character in this, where what he's doing the rest of the time uh, while this is going on. Like what happens when he that- leaves the barn? Sign me up. That works. That works. I think it's a good way. Good way to wrap this one. <laughs> Rob Fox, pleasure to have you back on the show. Tell the folks again where they can find you. Softcore hit well at Rob Fox three, all spelled out on Twitter and Instagram. And um, yeah, softcore history. Check it out on iTunes, Spotify, uh, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We're there. Uh, also on YouTube. Also, we have a Patreon now. So uh, softcore history uh, there as well. I host with Dan Register and Jake Goldman. It's just a funny history podcast. Just talking about it. if you like history, if you like laughing, I guess, God. Uh, yeah, check it out. All those links will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review. You folks know the drill. New episodes every Monday. If you want to support the show, head to patreon.com slash big screen sports. If you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. Tomorrow, new episode dropping with uh, the great Ryan Dempster. He of guy who threw at A-Rod one time. So we're going to talk about that, a bunch of other things. And we'll catch you on Big Screen Sports next Monday. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.